Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Welcome, everybody, to the newest episode of The Grind. I am Dave McClung, and uh, so excited you guys have decided to join us. We have a kind of a new thing going today. We are streaming live on Facebook, so everybody out there watching and who will continue to watch on Facebook, thank you. Uh, for joining us. And so uh, with me today, Chad Grigsby is out today. Uh, He is our normal co-host with me. I had a family uh, gig today, so he is out. So I invited the lovely, the illustrious, the magnanimous Joey Cook. Hey, I'm just glad to be here, Dave. I feel like a wiener dog at a horse race right now. So... (laughs) It's good to be tuning in with you in place of Chad Grigsby. You look like a wiener dog at a horse Thank race. You. So, uh, uh, so anyway, uh, so we're excited today uh, to uh, be joined by the wonderful, the world traveling, the I, I could go on and on with my appellations here. <laughs> uh, Alan Hirsch is joining us from live from LA. Well, you are close to Appalachia, right? <laughs> you are close to Appalachia there, so I guess no. that's where the Appalachians come from. That's right, that's right, from <laughs> Appalachia. That's correct. <laughs> so, uh, so Alan is uh, uh, probably a little jet lagged today. He's been on a whirlwind tour and got back in yesterday, and we are the his his first engagement today. So, how about that? How about that? <laughs> Did you hear any of that messing with your headphones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard it. I, I can, I can lip read there. Dave. <laughs> oh goodness, that's funny. Yeah, I got you, man. All right, so, so thank you guys for joining us for this experiment today, and we will, uh, we're recording all this, and the the actual podcast will drop next Tuesday at our regularly scheduled Tuesday drop date for that. And so, uh, we've brought Nick Burt, our production minister up here to Fayetteville with us. Thank you for Hill Church and Andrew Munnicky for hosting us today. And then we've got some knuckleheads sitting out here as a live studio audience as well. It's kind of a rough crowd to look at. Uh, Alan, be thankful you can't see all of them. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So we're going to kind of dive in and jump in. And uh, Alan, why don't you start with kind of a little background on you for some of our listening audience that may not be as familiar with you as as we are uh kind of who is alan Hurst and how did you kind of wind up at this point in your journey how about that wow just like where do you want me to start like eternity like you know called to be an apostle from the foundation of the earth <laughs> yeah. no, no uh so yeah um okay so i'm um um who am i i well i was born in south africa uh so i Got a kind of mixed accent, yes. So I've made my way to Australia eventually, but I come from a Jewish background. So, and I now live in America, so I have no idea who I'm, I am and where I'm from, particularly. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but yes, yeah, so like, um, but I, I guess being here, I, I, I largely am a, a kind of a kind of practitioner uh, from Australia, where you know, uh, we, you know, we're involved in a very, fair bit of church planting and also in some work with our denomination. 
developed a organization called Forge, uh, wrote a number of books that kind of you know, dropped in on the conversation at critical times, like Shaping Things to Come, Forgotten Ways particularly, uh, which actually brought me to the States here. Um, believing that God had sent me here, I've always felt something of uh, a calling to uh, America. And, uh, but even when I was a kid, man, just like very young, I just knew that I'd have something to do with America, right? Yeah. Um, it's quite weird, actually. And, um, but, the, uh, but the idea here is, I think, is that we have to uh, turn the ship in, in America. The trajectory of, of uh, Christianity in the West is definitely on the decline, and it's been a long-term trended thing. Uh, my hope is that if we can um, do some things over here uh, that allows us to experiment with new ways of being God's people and particularly discover some of our most powerful uh, uh, Dynamics as movements, uh, we can actually, you know, change the tracks of history, you know, shift them. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm appealing to something of the American entrepreneurial thing, you know. Yeah. So yeah. That's why I'm here, bro. Which, yeah. which connects well with a, a church planning crowd uh, like we have, and so. Uh, yes. Uh, so, okay, so I read "Shaping of Things to Come" uh, about nine years ago now, and. Uh, uh, and I've shared this many times, you know, on the podcast and, you know, with audiences that it was a paradigm shifting moment for me. And, uh, and then of course went on forgotten ways and everything else, but the whole, uh, APEST discussion, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, giftings that come out of Ephesians chapter four. Uh, I just never heard anybody read that passage. Like you read that passage and understood that passage and unpacked it. And so it opened up a whole new world uh, for me in life and ministry. And so uh, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar at least with uh, your writings on APES and, and discussion of APES, but won't you kind of frame the conversation for us and maybe unpack some definitions of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, uh, and how you see that playing out in Ephesians 4 and for the, for the work of the church? Okay, cool. If I may, uh, Dave, let me just go back a little further. Okay. Uh, you know, when I wrote in in, um, in shaping it, uh, there was a chapter on a on Apis there, um, and I guess at that point I, I I'd always discerned that somehow that in we we could look at the scriptures and we could claim to be a biblical church, but we could never justify. Uh, that while we could see in the scriptures that there was at least a fivefold dynamic going on, and it's not just uh, Ephesians, right. as important as that is, we'll get into that. Uh, but actually, look throughout the Book of Acts, and most preeminently in Jesus, as we'll we'll see. Uh, but you can see this dynamic, but we could never justify to ourselves why it was not evident in the churches that we happen to be part of. We somehow we'd ended up with a while claiming to be biblical people, we, we clearly didn't have a biblical ministry. And we had a whole rationale that we'd inherited from the past that could make, tries to make sense of that, but it didn't, never made sense to me. But in shaping, it was more a kind of intuition that this is really important, that to be a missional church, you have to have more than just a, 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 a HR, a human resources kind of functional idea of, of ministry. You need the entrepreneurial pioneering efforts to be included. And then when, uh, when I studied for, for uh, Forgotten Ways, was looking at dynamic movements that change the world. Uh, and, uh, and what I tried to discern is what factors come together to create kind of 
catalytic transformative movement. And uh, it was evident that, that APEST, and we'll come to definitions, but APEST was clearly, clearly one of them. In fact, you can, uh, I would say it now that um, there's never been a movement in history that went to scale, that had a high transformative impact, went exponential, um, that didn't have APEST. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. And so the significance of this as a, as a really important idea for us uh, became just clearer. And that, since then, it's been a reasonable obsession of mine. So I've written four books on APEST. Uh, <laughs> but they, they, it tracks in almost everything I'm do, I've done. So, yeah, it's a pretty, it's, I'm pretty obsessed. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think, it, I think it's really, really important. It's one of those ideas that should we understand it, and uh, apply it properly. I think it touches on everything about the ministry of the church. It changes everything. You know, so, yeah, I want to emphasize the importance of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Is it just a lag or you? No, I'm here. Yeah, we've got a little bit of a lag in we the video. We have a bit of a lag here. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, so we'll, we'll try not to talk over one another there. And, uh, uh, yeah, okay. I, you know, the... Uh, one of the things, particularly in Southern Baptist life, you know, who's the tribe I've been a part of, you know, my whole whole life, you know, evangelism and mission has been a big part of who we are at the SBC, and so there's there's always been kind of an apostolic thrust with the SBC and the missionary nature of, of who we are as a people, but it was never categorized necessarily as an apostolic arm of the church, and so never really knew what yeah. to do with that. And then particularly the prophetic you know, aspect of the church was uh, significantly kind of marginalized in that SBC. We don't really know what to do with that. It's, yeah. hard, to, it's hard to control. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah but, I, I, yeah, but without it, it's like the prophetic, as we'll see, is like our radar. It's right. like uh, it's one of us, you know, the, the, keeping us on cue to exactly what the church is meant to do. And, and without it, it's hard to see how we can ever be faithful. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, switch off the radar and you'll end up at the side of the mountain very soon, you know, if you're flying a plane. So, right. yeah, absolutely critical that we have all the capacity for the church to be the church, you know? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of our world, Dave, I yeah, think... Yeah, the other that, thing, Dave... Yep. <laughs> go ahead, oh, go, go on. I, I was just going to interject there the, the idea of this this prophetic gifting while we're on this track. Uh, it's, it seems to kind of get a, a bad rap in some of our circles, could you maybe demystify that just a, a, a bit for our listeners who are maybe pastoring churches, church planters, just a, a real quick overview of, of how you see that in a modern context um, uh, for today's audience? Yeah, so I, I think if, if you want to get to definitions uh, fully, then you know let me do that within the context of the, of the fire themselves and see how they fit. But I would simply say at this point that in order to understand at least the way uh, I see it, um, and I'd like, I'd like to think that I'm trying to kind of discern the energy of Scripture itself, is that when, when we talk about uh, apostolic or prophetic or evangelistic, all of the firefold, you know, we're not talking about the charismatic nature of the giftings. That is, these are not manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Ephesians, we see it as they are, are extensions of who Jesus is and his functions. Uh, clearly, um, it, it's quite a different category. Uh, and so we're not talking about uh, charismatic manifestation, yet, although I think I personally think that's valid. Um, 
Ephesians 4 is not talking about that. It's talking about the functions of, of the church. So the, the prophetic function is really that capacity to keep the church faithful and loyal to God. The, the prophetic function is attuned to the purposes and will of God, but also to his holiness, but also to a sense of his sense of justice in the world, because God does is concerned for these things. So it's being open to what to being concerned for what God is concerned about. And without the prophetic function, our capacity to discern the will and the purpose of God is very, very diminished. Uh, so often, like in our circles, in your circles, particularly in Baptist circles, they say, up for the word of God, you know, so it replaces in the sense that kind of role of the this Holy Spirit in helping us uh, tune our lives to the will of God, you know. So, yeah, we've just ended up with a very deeply broken understanding of ministry. Like, uh, we, you, Dave, you talked about the fact that, you know, we, you know, Baptists have always believed in mission and, and evangelism, but, but the word for mission in the scriptures is the word apostello. Mm-hmm. And uh, since when do we prefer Latin to Greek? You know, <laughs> right. we, we claim to be, you know, love the scriptures. You know, the, the scriptures speak in, to us in, in the Greek, you know, voice. That's the word apostello. Why can't we use the term when the Bible uses it? Yeah. Many times, it, it, you, you have to wonder about that. Yeah, uh, uh, you know um, the the word apostle. Uh, so you asked about the word uh, prophet. So the word prophet actually appears over 140 times in the New Testament. 140. The word pastor as a noun appears once. Uno once. Yeah. Did I say it once? It only <laughs> ever appears once, and yet we use that word like it's. It's the catch-all phrase for every form of leadership, we, but we don't know what the prophetic ministry is. Now, how does that work? Yeah. How does that work if we claim to love the scriptures and what the scriptures, words in the scriptures are revelatory, they, they carry weight. We should pay attention to them and we should seek to understand them. If most people don't know what the prophetic function is, it, it, woe to us. It's so deeply embedded in the scripture. Yeah. You know, we can never understand scripture <laughs> yeah so the again just trying to say that for us as uh, people who love the word of god uh, the, the 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 bible um uh, as, as authoritative text ought to be taken uh very seriously on its own terms uh, we mustn't try and force fit it to what we think or uh, because we think it's a problem we, we need to discern what the word of god says to us in it rather than trying to impose uh, ourselves on the word itself, you know. So we need to be honest with this. And I think in any discussion on the APS gifting has to be start with a, with a wonderful openness and honesty and a, a willingness to repent uh, of, of uh, understandings of the church that are less than what the Bible intended. No, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. So so let's let's talk definitions. Uh, and, and I've heard you say... That was a rant. We haven't done definitions yet. Yeah. yeah, and I've heard you say over and over that um, you know that these are functions of the church. There's a uh, kind of a growing uh, movement within the church that kind of sees a renewed um, you know apostleship, and that there are new kind of apostles being created that you know would be on equal footing as Peter, James, John, and that's not what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. And, you know, 12 were a unique group, uh, but the apostolic function of the church uh, that has been missing for a while Mm -hmm. is very much needed. So let's kind of define those terms a little bit for people, and then we can kind of unpack from from there. How about that? Okay. So, Dave, can I use a a whiteboard here? I know that's, uh, I guess, when it comes to... To, uh, to the podcast is it's, it's it's not a video cast is it 
Correct. Correct. Okay, but it's so I'll on. Try, I'll try. We may drop the live I'll video try and recording as well. This. Okay. Yep. So let me do this and then, um, um, because to explain at least the apostolic one, it's worth actually seeing it, how it works itself out in the pattern, uh, watching the pattern of the apostolic. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now we haven't read the text, but I would advise anyone, you know, at, at some point at least, uh, you should start this conversation by first reading the, the scriptural text itself. And I can, I'm happily, you know, but we don't have time, so we'd like. But basically, it sets itself up in Ephesians 4, um, 1 to 16. The first six verses deal with the statement of the unity of the church in one God. It says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we to strive to maintain that unity in the bond of peace, right? Right. Uh, for movements that you know, which we are interested in, uh, the, the implications are that if you want to be a movement, you better have greater unity factors than diversity factors because you'll break apart if you don't have things that hold you together. We're to strive to maintain our sense of comradeship uh, in Jesus. Uh, so that's the first thing. And then, and then it, it, it talks about Apis. To, to each one of us, grace has been given. This is the words in verse 7. I'm repeating them. I know them so well. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Right? And then in verse 11, it says, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So the five expressions. Um, uh, some say four, uh, shepherd and teacher, the same. But I, I actually think that's not. I can show you shepherds and not very good teachers, and I can t show you teachers and not good shepherds. Um, <laughs> so I actually do think they're different functions, uh, and they're, they're not the one and the same. But if people only want fourfold, fine. It doesn't affect what we believe by the apostolic prophetic evangelistic. Um, uh, so that's that's given uh, in the ascension, uh, given to to the church, and then it goes on uh, in in twelve to sixteen about these are given that we might mature. That's an interesting term. That we might attain to maturity and to fullness. Uh, perfection, teleos is the word, to perfection, to everything Jesus intended for us, right? And then it says that you might achieve the fullness of Christ. Whew, that's a big concept. <laughs> that you might become full of Jesus, right? I mean, and I assume that's what the church is meant to be. That you might be mature, no longer tossed around by every wind of doctrine. This is a church doing its thing, right? And actually a church that is really functional and, and functioning as God intended us to be. And I would argue that that the logic of unity, diversity, and firefold, and, and and impact that comes afterwards are actually the same logic. Uh, it's in 16 verses flow very well together. Now, when it gets to definition, sorry about that. We'll, we'll come to definition now. So, um, but I want to say that all five are necessary. It's a mistake to think only in terms of one or two or three or five are necessary. And these are, um, yeah, so these are apostolic. Apostolic, the word apostella means the one who is sent. Um, it, it was not a biblical term. It was a term that was used in Greek society about people who were sent to act as an agent of someone else, uh, an envoy or a representative of a king or a merchant. And Paul adopts this language, and I think the Bible does, but it also gives it a nuance, but essentially keeps the same idea of sentness, right? And if we began to look at this, and I want to draw now for those listening uh, on, a, on a whiteboard, uh, an image of Paul as he starts his missionary journeys, right? Now, this is after his 12 years in the local church, and he now starts his journeys where he goes out, he plants the gospel. And by the way, church planters, uh, I think that's the better term. He plants the gospel, he doesn't plant churches. 
Yeah. We think we, we know what the church looks like, right? <laughs> yeah. But if you plant the gospel, the church grows out of its encounter with Jesus, right? So I think it's prior. The gospel creates the church. Yeah. And um, so that, that the church ought to look differently in different settings. It's a very, very Pauline practice. So that, you know, what happens in Corinth is different to Jerusalem. And this outward energy, you know, is, is, is really important. That's the sentness. Well, hello, look at it, right? This dude is like sent. You can't stop him. And, you know, he goes in and he does it very cleverly. He goes like in three waves or four waves as his journeys outwards, ever going to kind of new ground. He comes back to base. He goes outwards. He comes back to base. He's like weaving together the network as he plants the gospel that creates churches along the way. Now, why I highlight that, guys, is this is, this is important for us to see. If you can see it, at each kind of wave that he goes out, these here are frontiers. So in other words, he's the guy who actually is, is always on a frontier. He, he's taking the church, you know, the gospel to where it's never been named. And so there's, that's a very profound missionary function, planting the gospel on new uncharted ground and having to innovate um, the frontier is a place of innovation because what worked in Jerusalem isn't going to work at Corinth, like I said before. But the weaving together the the the, the network is very important. And that, and I'll stop at this point to simply say, when you look at this, why is the apostolic person important in our day? Uh, it's because if you take out the apostolic, if you in principle exclude apostolic functionality, that form of church goes down with it. You lose the movement form, and that friends is a huge mistake yeah. because the only form that's going to advance the cause of Christ in the 21st century in the West is for, there's no way forward for the, the current form that we've got. We need to recover movements and apostolic is very, very important to movement. Make sense. Awesome. And so, so then, so we've got the apostolic, which is the external uh, movement forming thrust arm of, of the church. The prophetic is the, the radar uh, the, that keeps us oriented toward, toward God. Unpack uh, uh, evangelistic uh, shepherd teaching as well. Uh, yes. So, yeah, the prophetic is the guardian of the covenant loyalty and faithfulness that God has with these people. So, you know, the prophetic, if they see that our relationship with God is up for scratch, is, is not, not doing well, they correct. Yeah. They call to repentance and correction. That's fundamentally the purpose, is to keep us aligned. Uh, and then the evangelist is the recruiter to the cause. Always better to think, you know, rather than in the narrow kind of guerrilla evangelist thing that we tend to think of. Uh, evangelism is really the enthusiast or the recruiter, the person who uh, invites participation to the church's message in Jesus. And, um, but really creates the enthusiast, the infectious person, that kind of folk. The shepherd is the one who creates community and defends it. Um, it creates a human flourishing and uh, where things just are good, you know, like where it creates a good community. And that's the shepherd's function, right? That's its, its locus of our activity. And the teacher is, creates wisdom and understanding, um, helps us integrate truth is to be a culture that, culture that loves truth and integrates it. Uh, um, and then bequeath it to the, another generation. Uh, you need all five. For yeah. goodness sake, to be a church, you can't just run it on shepherd and teacher alone. You need the pioneering function of the apostle, you, you, the entrepreneurial edge. You need the, 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 the kind of the faithfulness, loyalty, justice side of the prophet. You need the evangelist to kind of get the excitement going and to get people into the movement. 
without the other three, you can't be healthy. And so that's why I'd say like it's a fivefold form. Yeah, that's great. Hey, uh, turn your whiteboard off there for a second, my oh, yes, so, guys. Of course, it's not. sorry, man. <laughs> he's he's getting on to me here, and so uh, <laughs> so okay. So those are great definitions, and and gives us a, a picture of what each of those uh, functions actually looks like. Now, if you were if you were talking to you know, an existing church or even a new church plant that's already started or beginning to start, you know, how would you help them uh, kind of unpack this with their people uh, to to start, um, you know, mobilizing all five-fold giftings and functions, you know, within their church context? Right. Kind of organizationally. Well, my, my advice first, yeah, well, the first and foremost, because we really have inherited a tradition that doesn't really understand these terms, I would say don't do a sermon series first. <laughs> uh, because, because the truth is that we don't know what we're talking about ourselves. So the first thing is to educate ourselves as to the terminology and what we're referring to here and getting clarity. And I mean this very seriously. It's like, you know, um, if, if, I, if, if we, you know, we together as a local community, when we use the word evangelistic, this is what we mean by it. Right. Um, being clear, or when we use the word apostle, this is what we mean, so that we have a common understanding. Before we get there, if we don't do this, then all the caricatures or the misunderstandings kind of fill the void. Uh, so I think the first thing is to, I would start with leaders and the leadership team going on a six, six months or so learning journey of re reading both scripture but other material, um, some of that should, I think, include 5Q and all those things that I've written. But, but there could be more, you know. I think you've got to go on that learning, educate yourself. Uh, so that's the first thing. Second thing, and I'm, I meant to point this out before, is that one of the wonderful things about this, God has already given this to the church. The, the language and the grammar is very thorough. And um, um, by the way, if you go to my website, 5Q Collective, there's a free download of Chapter 1, which is a foundational all the stuff, the grammar is all there and all that, you know, I think, you know, people should, you know, at least use that as an example too. Yeah. Um, but, but here's an assumption that Jesus has given us everything we need to get the job done. Everything's already given to the church. We just need to recover it and name it and to allow it to develop. So, so trust that God has already given these to your people, that apist is already there. But here's another thing, put the cookies on the lower shelf. Don't, it's New Testament, right? It's not like, Leaders of tens of thousands, like, you know, Bill Hybels level church kind of stuff, which is what we think of leadership. In the Bible, it's a leader of 20 to 50 people. Now, I'm saying there are places for their high levels, but the Bible's really addressing a much more accessible version of leadership. And so when you, when you, when you have those definitions and you look around your church, are there people in your church that are naturally entrepreneurial, like to take risks and like to innovate? Yeah, of course they're there. Yeah. Are there people who are naturally sensitive to God and call us to attention to God and what his purposes are. Yes, they are there. Are they evangelistic, infectious people? Do they have to be leaders? No, but they're there. So put them down where they belong in the Bible and realize actually God's already given them to you. They're already there, but they don't know what to do with themselves. And often there. So we don't, we need to have, to, I think one of the things, Dave, is to develop pathways where we can train and develop these people, which is a discipleship function. We need to, to be clear in our own minds to have, how do we take a, a, a young 
undeveloped apostolic person and develop them to healthy apostolic expression. But you need to take charge of that. Yeah. Alan, so uh, I, I'm a pastor. We have pastors in the room. Can you kind of just reiterate this concept that this is not a new church growth strategy? This is about releasing uh, releasing our people for kingdom potential. This is about seeing the, the gospel being put yes. on display. Yes. Uh, again, I just, if, again, it's well, we need it. Uh, we, you know, particularly say as Baptist folk, you love the Bible, right? So read it. And you'll find that actually, um, and remember who's in the room in the original text. It was the ordinary people of God, not a, not a group of like, you know, seminarians and leaders like us in the 20th century. Ordinary folk. And you realize that actually when Paul, you know, is speaking through the letter to the, you know, the people gathered there, everyone's in the game, right? This is a New Testament church, right? Yeah. All believers, of all believers, and so again, when we, uh, I think when it says to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. I think everyone's in the game. And folks, if if we could see this, we unleash the power of movement church, because everyone in the New Testament and ought to be in our churches ought to be agent of the King in every sphere and domain of society. That Christ may be all in all, that Jesus fills everything. So it's very much part of his plan and purpose. And just read the book of Ephesians. It's such a wonderful book um, about that. So, yeah, um, really important to get that feel uh, that this belongs to all of God's people. And it's our heritage. It's our heritage in ministry. All of us have a place and a part to play in ministry. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about some equipping pathways a while ago, um, you know, creating some pathways where the apostles can exercise that gifting and function, the prophets can exercise that gifting and function, you know, particularly in, in contexts that are you know, developing that language, developing those, those functions. What would be some, some equipping pathways or equipping experiences that you'd recommend that could really help people hone in on how God has wired them? Because there are people that are naturally entrepreneurial. They're going to run to the fringes, start yes. new things. You know, what, what would be some, some yes. yeah. recommendations there from you on that? Well, okay. So a very simple one. And, and um, one, you know, but it's a good place to start is one we call basin phase. Uh, I saw this originally in a church called St. Thomas Crooks in England, uh, uh, it was actually an Anglican church, and, um, and I, I was very, very impressed because I was on the journey of APES, but I'd never seen a church that applied it so consistently throughout. It was my first experience of seeing a church had built it into the very fabric of the church, right? And what would happen is that if you came to the Lord or you were a new, you transferred from another church to this church particularly, they would have said to where you what your base function was. Uh, it's, you know, with off the fire, they would say, oh, well, we think you're a prophet, right? And you've got prophetic tendencies, right? We'll say, well, um, but hey, there's a group of people there. We call the school of prophets or whatever. They didn't call them that. But <laughs> there's a group of people there that are maturing or trying to learn what it means to be faithful as a group within us. Uh, go and hang out with them. And they will teach you how to be a mature, Not because immature prophets can be very damaging. Yeah. You need to take charge of the maturity processes. But... Uh, so go there and learn what it means to be. And you might be two years among them. You might hang out. And then at a certain point, you might say, listen, dude, you've got some attitude with the teachers or, or the shepherds, right? Go and hang out with the shepherds there. 
And this they call the phasing. So your base is your primary gift. Phasing is where you hang out with. You might never be that, but you're going to learn what they do. They're going to teach you their ways. And you're going to try and bring your own gifting to that so that maybe you, you learn something. Then you, you come back to base again. You go back to phase. Now you're going to hang out with the teachers. And then you, you literally work your way around all those things. So you learn what all the functions of the body can do, even though you might never be there before. Now, that's quite a useful way. It's better described in, in 5Q. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, uh, but, but yes, I, I would say that would be one example, but there are many others. We, you know, there are tools that you can help develop awareness and, and maturity and discipleship. That's great. That's great. Well, we, you know, we just feel like we need to recapture this language as well and give license for people to live in their functions and gifting. And, you know, my role with the Arkansas Baptist State Convention for the last 15, 14 years, you know, I've seen pastors across the state who are more apostolic or prophetic or evangelistic trying to fit a shepherd teacher role and model. Yep. And they've, they've either been stifled or run out of town. <laughs> <laughs> and right. uh, and it, it's really harmful, you know, to them. Uh, it's harmful yes. to the church because uh, we have such a narrow view of of leadership in the church sometimes. Yeah. And so, and I've watched this play out over and over and over. And I, I think, you know, what you're doing is giving freedom and license for people to be who God has wired them to be and function as God has wired them to function. Right. We just got to catch up as the church. In that. Yes, that's right, and uh, that's that's a, that's a huge. Um, that's very very important because again, if you th think about body image, yeah, guys, um, uh, and this is what Paul is actually using the image of the body here, and, and the body has a whole lot of different functions. I mean, there's the liver, or let me say the cardiovascular, or the, which is the blood and the brain, uh, b blood in the heart and the veins and all that stuff, and then the brain, nervous system. Uh, reproductive, digestive, limitative, skeletal, you know, all the ones, right? Now, the, here's the thing is that the skeletal system can't do what the nervous system can. Right. And vice versa. The nervous system can't do what the kind of the reproductive can. Um, you need them all to be a healthy body. And the problem is that when you put someone who is designed to be maybe an apostolic person, but you force fit them into being a, a pastor uh, in a local church, you, well, they can probably do it to some degree, but it's never going to bring out their best of them. Right. It's not who God designed them to be. And they don't, you haven't, they haven't, they don't resonate with it. And this certainly has been my experience. My early experience of ministry was being that, and, but stuck in the shepherding role in a very needy church. And I knew I wasn't going to survive yeah. until we actually implemented APEST. I found my pathway and I thrived in it because I self-motivate and I'm doing what God designed me to do. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we help people in the church discover their, what God has designed them to be. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Dave, I think of Apis calling, by the way. I think I don't use it as gifts. Um, it's calling. Because actually Paul uses that term three times in the Ephesians text, right? right. It's right for the callings you've received. Vocation is much more identity. It's who I am. Who am I meant to be? It, it hints at my contribution to the world. And that's important to all of us, you know, that we discover our callings and our, our certain fit within the body of church. And that's why, again, the Ephesians text is such a wonderfully rich text for us. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's been a, that's been something I've observed over the last several years that if we could ever figure this out in in our existing churches and and broaden the picture of what you know leadership looks like here and 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 then give places for everybody to play uh, within the body, you know, because uh, every church and we've seen this over and over. Last church I pastored was the same way. We had people who were natural evangelists that just recruited people. Uh, continually. Uh, we had those that, uh, you know, were always creating, you know, there was a new pathway here, a new pathway there for, for mission. And, and, and so finding yeah. ways to unleash those people just really made our church very, very healthy. And I didn't even yeah. know what we were doing then because yeah. I hadn't read your book then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, well, I'm not surprised, bro. Like, you know, this is the way I think, honestly, I think it's the way Jesus intended us. He's, I mean, it, I know enough about management and leadership theory to say that it is a very, very profound system. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you, you, in the business, you need HR, you need human resources, right? Which does onboarding, kind of helping people understand their role, conflicts, you know, uh, you know, helping people flourish, uh, compliance procedure, all that, teaching them how to be better at their job. That's really important. That's HR. But can you run a an organization on HR alone? And the answer is no. You need product design development. You need marketing. You need the other functions of organization. Right. But the church has long kind of fed itself the line that we can run the church on HR alone, which is shepherd teacher. Yeah. Uh, you can't do it. You can't expect a shepherd teacher to do apostolic outcomes. And it just, they're not designed for that. Yeah. And, and, and so but Jesus has already given us what we need. I think it's brilliant. I think Jesus has already given the church everything it needs to get its job done. That's why those Chinese Christians can pull it up without all the, the degrees and without all the buildings and all the stuff we think we need, all the resources that the American church has got, the Chinese show us up. Why? Because they're doing it according to design. Yeah. Early church is another example. They didn't have all the stuff we've got, and yet they were able to do the job because Jesus has given them everything they need. And again, I'm ranting a bit, but I think it's worth, <laughs> I can't state it more. And here's, here's the other problem, right? Here's the other thing, is if you don't integrate these ministries, they go off elsewhere. So look at our parachurches, right. guys. Our parachurches often pick up one, two, or three of the of the lost ministries to the local church. So often the apostolic of the church planting kind of dimensions uh, or, or the missionary functions, which are seen as overseas and dis disconnected to the local church. Uh, the prophetic often is on its own. The evangelistic, you know, well, it's Campus Crusade, and, or, you know, they do evangelism, but that's not done by the local church anymore. Right. So the local church loses functionality. So what, what is the local church? Oh, well, we preach and teach and care for people. Well, yeah, that's fine, but you need more than that to be a healthy, vibrant local community. Yeah. You know? So, again, it just shows you... Bringing all five together, guys, and I mean this seriously, I mean, I think it's an option, an opportunity for us to heal a broken ministry that's gone all disparate on us. It's broken off into all different pieces. But what we can do in Firefall is to bring it around, back together around Jesus where it belongs, in the local church. And that means that all the church's functions are knitted back together again. They're healed. Uh, the word actually in the Greek there is katatisma, made complete, uh, healed, restored, um, you know, so that's the word equipped, by the way, but it can be translated healed. If you read your King James, it means perfected. 
Yeah. Hello, APEST is for the perfecting of the, of the ministry of the body of Christ. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there you go. It just <laughs> says it. That's the word of God. Yeah. You know? Alan, uh, it's, it's, it's like us to hire, I think, in church cultures to hire people who are like us uh, if we're not being intentional yeah. otherwise. Uh, it's been said, and I think probably by you, that the apostle prophet is kind of a baseline foundation uh, for gospel movement. Can you, can you maybe speak to uh, what that means and why that should concern us with, uh, when we look to expand and bring in people to leadership? Right. Uh, okay, so like uh, referencing uh, the, you, the, the words in Ephesians 2, uh, I think it's 21, where Paul says that the apostle and the prophet are the foundation of the church. Now, people have argued that it means the canon of Old Testament and New Testament. It could also mean that, but clearly in Ephesians 4, we always use the Bible to interpret the Bible, right? So you can't say that the one's saying what the other one is not. So we say they are vital ministries. Now, what does Paul mean when he says foundational? Well, if you think about it in missionary terms, um, the apostolic is the one who extends the, you know, the DNA of God's people, the gospel, takes it onto new ground. Uh, often the prophet is the one who takes it deep and embeds it into the culture and calls for faithfulness, locality, loyalty. Don't worry about your numbers and all that. And both dimensions are needed. Uh, in missionary terms, we talk about the missional incarnational impulse. Missional is the sent one, apostolic. Incarnational, I believe, is prophetic. It's go deep and be faithful. And both are needed, two sides of the same coin. And that's why they provide the foundation of the church. It, it provides extension and the platform for the rest to develop. So that would be a very quick attempt to try and explain that text. But they are foundational. I would say that church planting most definitely needs, I think it needs all five, by the way, guys. Because if you're going to create a community that's sustainable, you need also the SD types. And I would argue that each is necessary for the wholeness of the whole. So I would say a church planting team should have firefold on it. Uh, you might front end it with apostle prophets and evangelists to kind of get it going, but you better have a SD strategy to kind of fill in the gaps because otherwise you're not going to have a sustainable or even a nice group of people. You need nice people. And that needs, <laughs> that needs a shepherding function. <laughs> need some loving people. <laughs> yeah. Not grumpy, grumpy Baptists. <laughs> well, I, I want to encourage too, Alan, for any of our listeners to go on the forgottenways.org and uh, to self assess first because it's been said that we don't have a, a church problem. The church in the West is, is struggling, but it really is a leadership problem. And so it starts with us. And we went through, we started this about two years ago. We took it to our leadership team of eight. Dave helped us with that. We're doing a, a fifth, we're taking yeah. 50 men camping this weekend and we're going to group them up according to their APES giftings and coach one another. So, in order to get wow. it into awesome. the body, uh, it's, it's, it starts with us understanding and beginning to implement this. And it, I'm, it just works. God designed it, and, and people know that, yeah. that, I'm an, that I'm an EA. And so they allow me to run in my lane, and we have other people in the body who are STs, and we allow yeah. them to run in their lane. And uh, there's not these yeah. unrealistic expectations on one another that we were never designed to carry. But I just want to 
We haven't referenced the ForgottenWays.org, and I want to encourage our folks to get out there, pay $10, and to, yeah. to take that assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by the way, I do charge for only simply because it costs a huge amount of money. To, it's the one statistically verified yeah. uh, out there. Uh, um, and so I'm pretty sure, at least from the terms of the way I'm using it, if they resonate with you here in this podcast or this conversation, um, then, then you know, based on those terms, this, this I'm pretty sure of its accuracy, uh, unless you're trying to manipulate them uh, to, you know. So, yeah, I think it's very important to get clarity. But I would also suggest to people just to talk about it and, you know, get clarity together once you've got a, a test like that so that you adjust it as, you know, as, as the body sees fit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I love the, the term uh, running in the lane, you know, that's interesting. Uh, so you, you know, so you were wiener dog running in the lane. <laughs> but, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a theme coming up there. Uh, yeah. So I'm an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, we're we're working on creating some uh, some more kind of immersion experiences, you know, to really get people to dive in yeah. to APES and and really. Uh, you know, define kind of how God has wired them and called them to, uh, to the part that they're going to play in, in the, the wider kingdom uh, movement. And so we're doing more of that. And, and what Joey's doing at City Church uh, is, is great. We're going to learn a lot from that experience as well to share with others, you know, around Arkansas and beyond. So excited about that. Dave, can I, can I, just, I know we, probably running over time for the questions, but maybe this would be a, a way of hopefully addressing some things that people might might help them anyway. Sure. But uh, you, you mentioned the idea of functions, right? So we've been talking here uh, about individual vocation, that is. I do believe that these ultimately identify us and help us know who we are and how we connect with the others in the body of Christ. But when you look at it in terms of functions, let's put the people aside. For people who have a struggle with the term, oh, I don't believe in apostles, right? Well, you know, I think they're wrong, but but, but let's just play that out. Right. You cannot say, you can say we don't believe in apostles, but you can't say to me that the church is not apostolic, right? right. Not allowed. No, because we believe the church is the one agency in the world. It's the missionary agency of God in the world. It's apostolic. It's sent. There's no ways we can get ourselves out from under that, no matter how cessationist you are. You can say, or these people can say, we don't believe in prophets. Again, I think you're incorrect on that. But nonetheless, you can say that you can't say that the church isn't prophetic as a whole, right? Right. Because when the church fails to be prophetic, all kinds of injustice is a result, or unfaithfulness, or unholiness. Yeah, because the prophetic keeps us alive. You can't. You can say we don't believe in evangelists, but you can't say that the church isn't an evangelistic agency. The church exists by the gospel. You, you, you can't can't say, oh, we, that's the other church down the road. We don't do that stuff here. Well, you'd, be un, you'd be terribly unfaithful. And you can say the same with shepherding and teaching. We're meant to be a healthy, wholesome community. We're meant to be a place that loves truth and integrates it, right? So you can look at these as functions of the church before they get to people. And all of a sudden it opens up a new way of looking at the church in its functionality or its dysfunctionality. Yeah. A dysfunctional body is where the pieces are not jiving. Mm. Right, together. The functional is where all the system is working as it should and, and designed. And I would argue fivefold is a, is a functional, less than fivefold is a dysfunctional system. Your body has to have all 10 of those functions 
if you don't have 10 functions, you're dysfunctional. Yeah. They're not working properly. You're diseased. Yeah. So it's worth thinking of it in those terms. If, if, if some people struggle with the terms as, as, as for people or vocations. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's a great word. We, we got a question from one of our guys here. Uh, the question is, uh, uh, do all spiritual giftings fall into a past? What about hospitality or mercy? Does that fall under shepherding, et cetera? How would you see the, you know, Romans 12, first Corinthians 12 fall into a yeah, past yeah. as well? It's, it's a really, really good question, and it gets asked a lot. Uh, my best attempt at this is to say uh, uh, that uh, with Ephesians, we're looking at, like I said, vocation or calling. Uh, in the, the word in Corinthians is the word manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In the spirituals is actually the word it uses, and they are, they're considered manifestations of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit operating through his people uh, to do a certain job. So let me make this practical. If I was a plumber, identity, vocation, uh, uh, you look at the plumber's toolbox, right? And what you find in the, you know, the big, the big torque wrench and there's big rubber hammers and the poopy things and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So, but it's a, it, the, the plumber identity has a certain toolbox. Right? If I say I'm a, uh, I, I'm a, a, a carpenter, well, you look at the carpenter's toolbox. There might be some things are the same, but generally it's a more refined, uh, it's a different set of tools, right? Mm. Some are the same, some are different. Uh, if I say I'm a dentist, well, a dentist might have also a screwdriver, but a very much smaller one, right? And if the dentist's toolbox looks like the plumber's, is maybe, you know, where you're from, maybe, uh, <laughs> get out of there, my advice. <laughs> Do not. If your dentist has got a pun, this toolbox, not a good idea. I think it's a good way to think of this is that the charismatic gifts particularly are the tools by which we get to do the job. Uh, the apist is our functions which organize the tools or mm. um, predispose us to certain tools. If the Romans things are more about, um, uh, people talk about creational gifting uh, that come from the Father. Actually, it's interesting, Corinth is from the Holy Spirit, the Corinthian gifts. Uh, Romans set is from the Father, who is the giver of good gifts, and it's very much creational. It's like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a capacity, you know, like organizations or, or uh, uh, you, know, um, you know, empathy and all that stuff. Uh, whereas the Ephesians one is from Jesus, who's, who's perfect apest, and he gives it to the church. So they're very different dynamics, uh, there's a Trinitarian thing going on there. Again, I don't want to get too too complex in it without a whiteboard. So, <laughs> yeah. I know you have difficulty yeah. talking without a whiteboard. Yeah, and I'm the Lord of the Long Answer, so <laughs> I can't answer things shortly. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Uh, that's a good question and great great answer there. Uh, that's a good way to think about it. Is you know your vocation, and then you have certain tools given your vocation. I, I like that analogy. That's a good picture. That's better than a wiener dog yeah. running in a horse yeah, race. Much better. Uh, much better analogy. <laughs> Actually, it's a good analogy. It invites yeah. you to think about that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you might need to work that into your next book. How about that? 
<laughs> All right. Well, we're going to wrap up here uh, real quick. Thank you so much for coming on with us and, and talking. And, and we got to get you back to Arkansas uh, to come hang out again. And uh, we'll work Indeed. on that. <laughs> yeah. We'll work on that. So we want to do a quick thing we do with all yeah. of our podcast guests uh, to wrap it's up. It's in Jerusalem. Huh? Do what now? Do what now? Next year in Jerusalem. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. All right. So here's we'll wrap up with this. These are kind of burning questions we ask all of our podcast guests. And uh, this is this I is the right. Do what? I reserve the right not to answer. <laughs> uh, yes, you do. <laughs> All right. So, so these are kind of rapid fire, quick answers. Uh, so top one or two books that have had the most impact on you. Um, I re really more thinking authors uh, yeah. and uh, I would say Martin Buber perhaps and then uh, Von Balthasar. It's okay. more authors than particular books. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and you're a voracious reader, so uh, I know that's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, greatest strength and weakness in ministry? Uh, strength is like I, I'm a dreamer, kind of. Uh, I love to dream up new stuff and all that, and I can be quite creative. My weakness is... Coaching. I suck as a coach. I know I should be better by now, but I still suck. Yeah. All right. Just follow up, you know. I tend to leave people on there and it's not a good thing. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, favorite pastime or hobby? Uh, well, like you, I love music. Um, yeah, particularly a certain fan called Porcupine Tree, which I'm reasonably obsessed with, Dave Matthews. In those guys. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, I enjoy kind of uh, rugby as a sport. I don't play it anymore, but I love it. Yeah. And I'd love to convert you to it one day. <laughs> rugby, rugby is everything that NFL promises to be. <laughs> <laughs> rugby is the real man's football, huh? That's oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Favorite movie? Uh, I, off the top of the head, I'd have to put Matrix up there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to choose any, but I love the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that weaves its way through all of your writings as well. I yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah. All right, now here's here's the, the big question. You alluded to it a while ago, and I've had this conversation with many people uh, about you and I sharing a, a love for a certain band. So favorite band or musician? Oh yeah, uh, Porcupine Tree, Steve Wilson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're also a big Led <laughs> Zeppelin fan, doubt. right? I do. I love Led Zeppelin. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time I mention and, Porcupine Tree, people look at me funny, and I say, "But yes, but Alan Hirsch loves Porcupine Tree as well." So <laughs> it's the greatest band people have never heard of. That, that's that's exactly how I describe it. They're the greatest band you have you've never heard of. They yeah. are unbelievably good. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They are. All right. Well, we could spend a lot of time talking about the the glorious nuances of of all things porcupine tree, but I'm sure our listeners would not enjoy that as much as we good. would. <laughs> yeah. 
So we can convert them. That's right. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, Steven Wilson, I'm sure you're not listening to this, but I'm trying to convert some fans for you. And, uh, <laughs> we love you, Steve. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, Alan, thank you so much for coming on, man. We love you. Uh, you've been such a huge influence for me and uh, have, have shaped so much of my thinking and ministry over the last several years and uh, proud to call you a friend. And, Don't and, blame me, McClung. I'm not responsible. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to add, Alan, the one thing when I think of you, I was having a conversation with Larry Walkemeyer in Southern California out at Light and Life Church. and uh, the, I love Larry. He's a good man. The thing that inspires us most about you is not even your writing, but it's the way that you love people yep. and the way that you make time for people in your personal life. And I just want to say thank you for that. That's really been a blessing to me personally. Thanks, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. All righty. Well, recover from your world travels and jet lag and get some rest. And thanks for coming on with us. And hey, I'll talk to you soon. Sure. God bless, guys. Peace and mercy. All right. See you, Alan. Thanks, buddy.